Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. April Vokey, and you are listening to Anchored, my chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the outdoors today. Join me as I travel to sit face-to-face with my guests in their own homes to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both indoors and out. Jenna McRae is somewhat new to taxidermy, but she is full of passion, knowledge, and talent. Although she has only been practicing for a year and a half, she has a natural ability for the craft and her artistic talent shows in her work. In this episode of Anchored, I find the answers to all of my questions, including how to choose a taxidermist, if there are any animals Jenna won't work with, and how to field dress a deer if you want to have it mounted. If you haven't already, be sure to check out my new monthly podcast, Into the Backing. The show is a roundtable forum that takes a closer look at the outdoors' most controversial topics. Follow along as we hear the viewpoints, science, and personal opinions from leading experts in their field. This episode of Anchored is brought to you by Brownells. Brownells has been in business since 1939 and is one of the biggest sources for guns, gun parts and accessories, ammunition, and gunsmithing tools in the world. Brownells has many kind of optics related to shooting and hunting, and I recently got my hands on a pair of Vortex binoculars. I've been impressed by how crisp they are while out in the field. It's no surprise, Vortex is a major player in optics, so their cutting-edge technology was bound to make its way into their binoculars. I use mine while birdwatching, deer hunting, scouting new land, and checking out tuna activity in the open ocean. I'll include the direct link in the write-up to this episode, or you can head on over to www.brownells.com. I can't believe that we're sitting here all of these years later. I know, it's crazy. When were we first introduced? Uh, It was a long time ago. Like, I don't even uh, how old am I now? 33 right now. Like, I think we were young, maybe like 20. I always go through my timeline via boyfriends. I haven't had that many, but all my relationships (laughs) have been long term. So I can be like, okay, that one was six years, that one was seven years. So it would have been, okay, so Charles. And I remember what boyfriend it was. Right? Yeah, so (laughs) seven plus four. There was a year in between. Can I say it, Matt? Yeah. (laughs) So it would have been ages ago. Yeah, it was quite a while ago. We met when I... uh, it was the trade show season, and I think we were. That's kind of how we met, like in the fishing industry and stuff like that. Yeah, because remember Trevor Welton, you were starting to do that's some work right. with him. Yeah, and I remember calling you from my office at my house when I was dating Matt. That's right. And being like, "Girlfriend, they are going to try to pit us against that's each right. other." Right. I remember. We that. need to stay <laughs> strong. Yeah. And that was before the days of social media. Yeah, and then you were like, "Hey, you know what? Come out fishing with me. I'm going to have some girlfriends out sturgeon fishing." <gasps> that's right. Yeah, we went sturgeon fishing. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, let's let's let people know what we're talking about. Um, where, where were you born and raised? Jenna? Abbotsford, BC. Okay. So, and we're in Mission, BC right now in your yeah, house. So that's about 30 minutes from Abbotsford. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what is your, I really want to get to what you're doing now, but I do need to touch briefly on your past. I mean, what we can talk about it quickly. Sure. What's your story? When did you get into fishing? Uh, I've been fishing since I was a kid, I would say. We have a cabin up at Loon Lake and there's a bunch of like little lakes and stuff around that are stocked by the fisheries. So my dad, he uh, was friends with the fisheries and he would find out what lakes were stocked. So we would hike in there there was no roads made in there or anything so we would hike in there and uh with our belly boats and our canoes on our back and stuff like that and yeah just go fishing and there was a lot of big fish in there they were unfished lakes untouched so a lot of a lot of big fish to be caught in there what about the hunting so the hunting started up there as well so we did like grouse hunting and stuff like that and there was a lot of mule deer up there and stuff not so much whitetail but we learned up there my dad was a pretty big hunter and we got into it up there Okay, because you've always been an outdoorsy girl. Mm-hmm. And the people who haven't seen you before, one of the reasons why you stood out to a lot of people around here, not only because you were talented and charismatic and smart and all those under, other wonderful things, but because you're also gorgeous. Oh, thank you. And, you know, <laughs> you were a young girl in your, in your early 20s. And I think, it, I mean, I remember working at the casino. I think when I met you, I was working yeah. at the casino. And you were working No, in, you were working at uh, Olive Garden. Oh, I hadn't even made it to the I casino yet. So, yeah. No, that's right. Yeah. Were you in the bars at that point? I feel like you were in I the I was bar. bartending. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, when you're younger and like 20-ish, that, that was the job that made you money, right? Like I I was in school to be a, a baker, but then I ended up just doing bartending. You were going to be a baker? Yeah. And then I ended up getting a job right after school. I think my school was like 20 grand. And then I got out of school and I got a job and they're like, hey, 12 bucks an hour. And I was like, $12 an hour? And I'm like, okay, I could bartend instead yeah, and, make, and make like 30 bucks an hour. So yeah. I was like, ah, I mean, money talks. So I ended up bartending for yeah. like three or four years after that. So that means you were always good with your hands then. Yeah, that's the thing. I like, I like, that's my sense is like touching and I learn by hands. I learn by seeing things, doing things like that's my learning. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So you did some fishing with Trevor. I saw you on a couple TV episodes and then yeah. what happened? I feel like you were still fishing, but I felt like I saw you kind of drop off from the professional side of things. Yeah. You know what? Okay, so we did a few shows. We actually flew down to Mexico and we did a warm water fly fishing trip and it turned out really good. But I think at the time, the videographer, he his wife got pregnant and so he kind of fell out of it and our whole thing just kind of fell apart. But it was a really, really good experience. But it just, we didn't make the 13 episodes to be submitted to TV, to actually be on TV. So it just, it just, it was really unfinished at the time. So, I mean, it's still on the internet now. It's on Vimeo, but it was not something that was wasted. It wasn't time that was wasted at all. Like I got a really great trip out of it. We had a great time, great, great photos. And I got introduced to a lot of people in the industry. And that's how I kind of like got into it was through Trevor Welton. So like still to this day, I'm still thankful to him for that. So. Okay. And then you got into, I think I remember seeing you into bodybuilding. God, you were like really, really, really ripped. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was crazy. Um, I did a competition. Uh, I did a bikini, like there's different levels. There's bikini, there's fit fitness, there's physique, there's all that, uh, different levels and stuff. But I think my body was more geared towards bikini. So I did bikini, hired the trainer and did the whole meal program. And then we did like, I think it was an hour a week of walking in heels. So I learned how to walk in heels because you have the whole stage performance that you have to do. And I mean, it was four months. It was so hard, but... Were you allowed to eat anything besides chicken and rice? We were allowed six meals a day and two of them were protein shakes. And so we were allowed to have carbs, I think maybe three to four times a day. And I remember this one time I was so hungry. I was feeding my dog and I was looking at his dog food and I was like, mm. no, I was so close. It's just like, no. there's something about my, my body just took over and wanted to like eat this dog food. But so it was time yeah. to move on to the next thing. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get caught up to where you are now because yeah. I am so fascinated with your career right now. Yeah. You're a taxidermist, a bloody talented one. Yes. And I've got a million questions for you. Yes. So you. first of all, tell me, tell me how it started? How did you get into it? I've always really liked taxidermy. I grew up at a farm. So 
we did a lot of like me and my dad raised the the chickens, turkeys, uh, pigs, whatever, and we would call them ourselves. So ever since I was a little girl, he would cut open the gizzard for me. He would cut open the head for me. He would show me everything that I wanted to see in an animal. So I really, really learned a lot of animal anatomy through that. And I got interested in it, right? Like you're a little girl and you know, dad knows what's best and you just, you look up to your dad so much. So my dad. And it's so interesting. I mean, honestly, you know what got me into fishing? Gutting fish. Yeah. I used to, I used to love getting back and having dad go, you know, this is the air bladder. How exciting was the air bladder? Oh, I know. What's this fish been eating? Yeah. The gills. Yeah. Right. It sounds really, I don't know, morbid, but it's fascinating. There was like the tendons in the, in the feet that he would pull and the uh, little feet would close up when you pull the tendons and stuff. So, I mean, it was really exciting that way. So you know, I, you really learn your stomach. Like you're, you don't get sick when you see meat and stuff like that. Right. So that got me kind of like into animal anatomy and like seeing the beauty behind animals and stuff like that. So how did it first happen though? Cause you're working for a different job and then what happens Does someone some days, like, like, tell me about your first experience trying to do taxidermy because it's one thing to, to decide you're going to be a painter, right? You mm-hmm. go to, to the store and you buy paint. How did you get started in taxidermy? Actually, a friend of mine was getting a mount done by a fellow taxidermist here in Mission, which was literally 15 minutes away from here. And he says, calls me up and he says, Jenna, come up the road. There's a guy I want you to meet. He's a taxidermist and maybe he'll take you on. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I guess. Okay. Like I'm not going to pass up this opportunity. I'm going to go up the road and meet this guy, but I don't think it's going to pan out. I've already asked lots of taxidermists to kind of take me under their wing and show me and teach me. And they've all kind of said no, right? Because that's a big job to say yes to someone and teach them for that long because it's a lot of stuff to learn. And so whatever, I just, I got Fred to take care of Wyatt, my son, and uh, I went up the road and I met him and met the, my now mentor and introduced myself and I said, hey, um, I'll do all the brunt work. If you want to take me on as a student, please, like you're like the fifth taxidermist I've asked. And I couldn't believe it. And he's like, "Mm, well, okay, we'll come by on Monday. And I was like, oh my God, he actually said, yeah. So yeah, now till this day, I think it's a year and a half later, I'm still with him. Thank God. Did he tell you that a lot of people approach him for a similar? Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I've been in for a year and a half now and I've already had a handful of people ask me to teach them. Okay. So you go in on Monday and what happens? Does he put you to work? I mean, does he make yeah. it so miserable for you no, that you... No, he's awesome. I have nothing but good things to say about him. I think I came in and he had some sort of roadkill. It was a raccoon and some customer wanted a raccoon rug. So he had everything set up and he's like, this is how you do it. This is how you put like the head. It's a shell. So you, this is how you put the shell in and put the eyes in and, you know, kind of like coaxed me through it. And like, he was busy working, doing his own thing. And I was like, Hey, can you help me? I don't think I'm doing this right. I don't think I'm doing that right. And did the whole thing. And honestly, looking back at that raccoon rug, it turned out so good. I wish I could have saved it, but. Okay. So let's walk through this and then we'll get into the bigger mouth. Yeah. Cause I have a million questions for you about this. <laughs> because as someone who tans hides, yeah. I mean, that is just that's right. the, that's just such a tiny pimple on this entire thing. Yeah, I mean, totally, yeah. doing a full mount is unbelievable. So a shell you said, is it a plastic? No, it's foam. Oh, you know the foam that you use, like the, if there's a crack in the house and you don't want wasps to come in and lay eggs or make up a nest or whatever, and you fill the cracks in, it's like that foam. Oh, okay. But yeah. it's already built. It's not like you're inserting it into a, a space and filling it. It's already a, no. a, a exactly round yeah. foam. Yeah. It's like a piece of foam that's in the shape of your animal. Okay. Yeah. Oh, this is leading right down. Because <laughs> I, I, I was that was one of my biggest questions yeah. for you, and, and we'll get there when we yeah. get into the logistics. Okay. So you do your raccoon rug, and was it all patchy? Did you have to tan the hide, or is that part already done? No, we won't do. I've suggested it to my mentor to do in-house tanning because it's it takes a little while. But no, we don't do the tanning. There's a lot of chemicals you have to deal with with it's tanning, time, and yeah. my even my dad does not want me to deal with those chemicals because. Yeah, because not yeah, everyone's brain not healthy or using eggs. I mean, the, most yeah. of the hides that people get today have been processed with chemicals. That's right. And they're, and they're, yeah. they are very serious chemicals. Yeah. yeah. So they're already tanned for us. Okay. So somebody has sent in their raccoon or do they bring you in the they, roadkill? They bring it to us raw. Okay. Whether body in or body out, whatever you want, but they've brought it us, to us raw. And then what? Do you throw it in the freezer and ship it out or do you do all the fleshing? 
we do the fleshing. We take the skull out. We have to flip the ears. We have to flip the nose. Um, what do you mean by flip the ears and nose? So turn it inside out. Yeah, turn it inside out. Basically. And you just yeah. salt it? Yeah, salt it. So basically the salt kills all the bacteria. So then that's prepped for the tanner. The tanner could then leave it for like a couple months and it would be fine. There'd be no bacteria. Bacteria is bad. You don't want bacteria because then all the hair will start falling out and it'll start slipping all that. So yeah, we prep it for the tannery. Okay, so then you ship it out. They process it on their end. They give it back to you. Mm-hmm. And then it's your job to basically make it three-dimensional. Yes. Okay, so let's go into deer. Let's start with the deer. Sure. Because I was just in your showroom. Mm-hmm. And Jenna, I got to say, I've seen a lot of taxidermy. Your work is absolutely top-notch. Thank you. And I've spoke to other people who are hunters who are sending you their work who have had you know, decades of, of animals be mounted. And they've told me that you do some of the best work. And oh, for you. it to be less than two years... I mean, clearly you're good with your hands and you know what you're doing. Yes. And that's really exciting because you have such a long career ahead of you. Yeah. On that note, have you branched out? I mean, you said that's your showroom. Have you branched out independent? Yes. So that's kind of like a process right now that I'm doing. So I've been under the wing of my mentor. He's been teaching me. And right now I'm building my garage up to be able to do all the work out of my garage because working from home is like the ultimate, right? But you know what? It's just like any other business. It takes money to start And I didn't really want to, you know, ask for a loan here or there. I just wanted to start myself and try and build it from the very bottom up and get all my tools. And yes, you know what? For Christmas, I don't get diamond earrings. I get power tools and I'm happy because that's building me for my my business and my garage that I can eventually work out of. And that's like, that's my dream right now. That's my goal. So yeah, it's not glamorous when you open it, but I mean, I get chaps one year, actually I got chaps from my parents and chaps from my husband. And I was like, can you guys coordinate this whole thing? I'm feeling pretty not like unglamorous right now. Um, so did your mentor, can I ask his first name? His name's John. Okay. So did John have a problem with you breaking free? Because I no. think a lot of people are afraid to sh- have a protege or take someone under the wing because they're afraid that they're going to break out and start their own company. Yeah. So this is, this is an interesting one because my teacher's teacher was very like, don't share any of this info because it's just, you know, it's secret stuff like this. We don't share this with anybody. Like we don't want anybody to do our trade. But when he kind of took me under his wing, John was more like, you know, I'm not trying to make money off of this. Like this is my hobby. Like I've got other sources of income, but I think he feels very like happy to pass the knowledge on to someone who's very thankful to get this knowledge. And he sees that I'm very creative and I'm doing really, really good. So he's, he's happy for that. Right. Yeah. Let's talk about a deer. So I bring you my deer Mm -hmm. and I've obviously taken the meat out of it. So I've just brought you, what do I bring you? Um, what actually let's take it back one step farther. I kill my deer Yeah. and I faced this situation before. I don't know how to make the cuts. Like if I want to have you do a a full head mount for me, I need to process that deer differently while I'm on location, right? Yeah. So what do I do? Where do I make the incision? How do I... How do I go ahead and and dress that deer from there? Well, please don't cut it up to the neck. Okay. <laughs> because that's what's going to be shown on your mount is the front neck. So don't cut it up the neck. Cut it up the back if you can, because oh. that's what we do. We cut it up the back. And if you want to leave the skull in there, that's absolutely fine. Because I actually prefer you to leave the skull in there because... If you're going to try and take it out and you make all the cuts and nicks and stuff like that, it's more time for me to sew all that up. So a lot of taxidermists, they'll charge you per the, per hour if you haven't taken it all out and done it properly. But right now I'm not charging you for that because I would like to do it myself. And I mean, it only t- it takes me about maybe two hours to get everything prepped, but I would rather that instead of getting a cape that's all cut up. How far down can we cut down that neck? Okay. Or, you know, the front side of the chest. So the front side of the chest, we need the brisket area. So I think your best bet is to keep almost the front legs on and cut just behind the front legs. Mm -hmm. So you said earlier that you're using foam. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're you're specifically taking pieces of foam and trying to make them look like that animal. They're just like a standard mold. Yeah, it's a mold. Okay, so all the deer are basically going to have the same face, for uh, the most part, same shape face. Not really. There's so many different magazines and companies that you can order forms from. There's companies that you can order forms from from Ohio, from 
Oregon, from all over the states. Like the states has all the good forms. And a form is a mold? Yeah, it's it's basically the foam okay. that you order. Yeah. But they are molded to the deer that are in that area. Oh. Yeah. So, I mean, if I want to order a blacktail form from up here in BC, and I ordered the blacktail form from down down south, like in California, it would be a lot skinnier. Their bodies skinnier, leaner, and then I would have to build up that face with clay <gasps> to make it thicker. Oh, so right? you can yeah. add? Oh, this is so interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You it's can like definitely add cosmetic to surgery yeah. for animals. It's a lot of sculpting, actually. Yeah, it's, it is art. Yeah, it's, it's completely it's truly art. Yeah. Art. You know, yeah. downstairs you had said to me that you had a friend commission you to do a unique piece of work. Yeah, and um, and I don't want to throw your friends under the bus, so I'll leave. Oh. <laughs> we'll leave the particular art yeah. Um, combination yeah. out. But you said it's hard for you to do work for friends, and it. Yeah. When I was hearing you speak about it. It sounds like the exact same things artists tell me. They have a hard time doing commissions for friends because there's expectations. And and artists have a way and a style, and they don't want to be told how to do it. Do you find it's the same thing with taxidermy? Um, No. I'm like, as I'm kind of new ish into the industry, I want to be able to do everything and satisfy people who have requests. But at the same time, it's like we can only do so much. You know, I'm not a magician. I'm not. You can only do so much. Just like an artist, can you tell whose work it is by looking at different taxidermy? Um, yes. Like there's certain things when it comes to setting the eyes, like you get these uh, little acrylic eyes and stuff. Like some people set the deer eyes more forward. Some set them back. Y- yes. I mean, like there is certain things and techniques that different artists do that you can pick up on, but Yeah. Okay, so you're building up the face, and now you've got, obviously, to put the antlers on. I'm assuming that that's pretty self-explanatory. Um, yeah, the antlers go on before you build up the face. There, so there's certain steps. Yeah. Makes sense. So you yep. so you go, so first you get your form, then you put on your antlers. Mm-hmm. Then I would imagine you do your sculpting and you're packing on clay or whatever. Yeah, you would do that. You So you would do the antlers, and then you would set the eyes. So you have to oh, put okay. the eyes in, and you can't just plant the eyes right into the form. There's not very often you see a deer that's eyes are pointing out to the side. Like you have to put them forward about 10%. So they're looking forward. So you have, yeah, it's a little bit harder than just putting the eyes right in. So then after the eyes, you would do some of the clay work. You would build up a lot of the muscular features. Do you ask people to bring in a photo of the deer? I, okay. So I ask for a photo of the deer and I also take a photo of the deer when it's dead, when it comes into me, because I use it as reference. Oh, so that's yeah. one more reason to leave all the bones in. Yes, definitely. Absolutely. Oh, this is really interesting. Yeah. Okay, one of the things that I noticed when I was down in your room is I was looking at the mouths. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised how real the roof of the mouth and the tongue looks. Do you paint that or do you buy that already like that? Um, you can buy them less detailed, but I... I've done both. I've done the less detailed mouth pieces. Like you have to install the whole mouthpiece. You install it, then you would add in some epoxy and build the gums. So you can do that and then airbrush it and paint it and make it look real. Or you can just buy the whole thing done. And obviously that costs a lot more money. So a lot of this just comes down to budget. Yep. I mean, and it depends how much you're charging for your mounts. You know, you're going to charge top dollar. You're going to buy the most top dollar material. Mm -hmm. What is top dollar? To do that big, beautiful elk downstairs, what would that cost to do? Top Um, top dollar. Like what's the range? What's the low range to the best of the best to do that big elk that you have downstairs? Okay. So to tan it about 300, all the pieces and stuff would probably be about $1,500 to mount all that. That's actually better than I thought. Actually, I'm sorry. Probably about $1,000. Yeah, $1,000. That's really good. It's not too bad. Yeah. Now let's get back to the process. So now you're putting the fur or the skin on the face. Mm -hmm. Do you glue it on? Do you sew it on? So there's a glue that you have to put all over the whole form. And then you put the leather, the um, cape that's already tanned. I call it a leather. So you put it on and then you have to sew up the back. Okay. So when you're sewing up the back, is that obviously all done by hand? Yeah. That's all done by hand. That takes a long time. It would, right? Do you have to (laughs) wear a thimble or something? Your fingers must be just Uh, Usually I put tape over my thumbs or I'll use a fabric glove and that really helps grip the uh, needle to pull through. And then how do you hide the seams? There's certain ways and tricks that you can hide them, but you have to make sure you don't get any fur when you're sewing because the fur will lay down and then you can see the whole seam, right? So you have to pick all the fur out and make it stand up. So you have to really, there's certain stitches too that you can do that really hide 
uh, yeah, your stitch. You can't even tell. There's yeah. so much to learn about this. Coming up, Jen and I cover some interesting points that might surprise you. Again, this episode of Anchored is brought to you by Brownells. Brownells has been in business since 1939 and is one of the biggest sources for guns, gun parts and accessories, ammunition, and gunsmithing tools in the world. Brownells is a third-generation family-owned business that's always been located in the same county in Iowa. The Brownells family and employees love outdoor adventures, including hunting and shooting, and absolutely support being a part of a greater community. Recently, Brownells donated N95 masks and protective glasses to the local hospital. Brownells also donated some of its computer power to be used to research possible cures for the coronavirus as part of the Folding at Home project. For more information on that, visit foldingathome.org. If you enjoy the outdoors, especially if you like to hunt or shoot targets, you need to check out brownells.com. Again, I'll include all of these links in the write-up. Something that always kind of baffled me, you're the perfect person to ask. I, when I was up north, was trying to get my hands on some hides to tan and was kind of competing against this taxidermist up there because he was also trying to get hides to yeah. tan because apparently he gets these, he gets the hides and he uses them for the bodies of other work that he's doing. Oh, okay. And yeah. that really surprised me because in my head I was like, if I'm going to get a mount done, I don't want someone else's fur on oh. my mount. Okay, I what want- do you mean? So he wanted the body? Yeah, so he wanted my buddy. So my buddy had a few deer from the season. Oh. Oh, I see. I and see. my buddy was like, I can only give you this one because he doesn't really want it. Okay. It's not yeah. top grade. Yeah. But these other two capes that I have, he wants yeah. for this other high-end mount. And that really threw me off that a taxidermist would use someone else's hides <laughs> from a different animal. I mean, doesn't that defeat the whole purpose? Yes. Okay. So sometimes everybody has their job. Everybody makes mistakes. Mistakes happen. It, it can happen with the taxidermist on the taxidermist end. It can happen on the hunter's end. And it can happen on the tanner's end. Hair slippage happens, bacteria builds, things happen. And sometimes you need to buy a new cape for a customer. And it has to look exactly like the deer that they shot. There's a lot of risk in this job. Like you have a trophy, a lifetime trophy for somebody. And if you screw it up, what are you going to do? You have to, you have to tell the customer, hey, something happened with your cape or... You can try and replace it and hope they don't notice. Yeah, I was going to say, do you you tell them? that? (laughs) It really depends. I mean, it's kind of a gray area when it comes to taxidermy. No one really wants to say it, but sometimes, hey, you might not get the same deer that you shot. (laughs) The antlers are the same, but... I was going to ask you that. I mean, does that go all the way into the face? Where do you draw the line? I mean, when does it just not even become your animal anymore? You really, you honestly, you have to be honest. Honesty is the best policy. And, you know, like I have a waiver that I get customers to sign. I said, Hey, like issues happen. Sign here. It's not my fault if the hair slips and it's really, it's uncontrollable. So I will replace your cape and I will make it sure it looks like your deer, but you know, problems happen. So sign here and yeah. Just be honest about it. Yeah. While you're processing the face to glue it to the form, to take out the nose and stuff, do you have to cut the nose out? Um, with bear and stuff, you can buy forms that have the nose already done, but I don't like to do that. A lot of taxidermists like to keep the natural nose because that was your bear. That was, you know, but when it comes to deer, no, that's the natural nose. Of course. Well, that makes sense. So with a the bear, skin, yeah. so how does it not dry out and look all weird and shriveled? Well, it's tanned. It's leather. So it's, okay. yeah, you, you got to keep it moist and it kind of just forms around your form and it uh, seems to turn out decently. Okay. Yeah. So everything in there that, you, that you're seeing up front, except for the eyes and the mouth and obviously the tongue, yeah. I'm assuming the tongue's not real either. If there's like any mouth showing, it's usually not real. Okay. Yeah. The teeth are not real though. No. What about full body mounts? Is that what you say? Is that what they're called? Yeah. Full body mounts? Full mounts. Yeah. Full body. Well, now you've got to go into body and legs. Is, are those all forms as well that you need to purchase? Yeah. So it would be a full body that you would purchase. So difference between a shoulder mount and a full body mount would be the base for sure. I mean, you have to deal with different body parts like hoofs, um, hands, claws. You have to kind of know how to deal with that. But the bases are completely different. Like I did a full mount 
for a cougar. And the cougar took, I think, maybe 30 hours, but the base took about 40 to 50 hours. So when you say base, yeah. you mean like the rocks that he's yeah. standing on? So we custom make all of our bases. Wow. Yeah, and they look great. They look really, really good. So how do you how do you do it? Is it also foam that you've painted? Um, it's foam and it's a little bit of a secret uh, mix. Ooh, I can't really share dun, with you. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. But you do all of that as well. Yeah. I my mean, mentor would kill me if I shared that with you. <laughs> that's okay. You got to keep, keep some things. I mean, it's yeah. a craft, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This is so cool. I can't believe you do all of that yes, stuff. Yes. Because that cougar mount was amazing. It was good. Thank you very much. Yeah. What's the story behind that? Does someone just hit it with the car oh, or was God. it hunted? Okay. So this cougar, so it was up at Loon Lake, which is where my cabin is. My dad was friends with this guy and he's like, yeah, I got this job for you. And blah, 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 as a cougar. I'm like, oh, really? Oh my gosh. Okay. So this guy comes by and tells me the story. And this cougar was picking off all the cattle yeah. uh, from his neighbor. So they were kind of like weary about this, this cougar and on a watch for him. And all of a sudden they caught him eating the neighbor's dog. Oh no. Labrador. And the guy comes outside and shoots a shot from his gun off to scare him off. And they're like, you know what? Let's just go after this cougar. Like we have to, he's done. The guy thankfully had a tag and they ended up pulling the dogs on him and treat him and shot him. And now he's mounted and he won't kill any more dogs or any more cows. Do you have any boundaries on what you're willing to mount? Okay. I know where this is going for sure. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'll let you take me down. That yeah. Road. Okay. So pets, is that what you're? Yeah. Well, that's yeah. kind of a weird one for me. I, I know as a hunter, because I, I feel like I know you well enough to know that you're a realist, um, that things die, you know, yeah. like I, I can't see you not wanting to do a bear or, or a cougar. Like, I feel like you see it as art and you would mount just about anything. Yeah. absolutely. But yeah. What about pets? Is that a little weird? Um, okay. At first I thought it was a bit weird to Does do ha pets. happen? Do people do that? Absolutely. Oh. Yeah. So we did a trade show, uh, just the, about a week ago and I had a few people come up to me and they would mumble and I was like, what, what, what did you say? <laughs> and then, and finally get out, get it out of them and they'd be like, do you do pets? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh. And I was like trying to be respectful. I'm like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, I do pets. I can do pets. And, but anyways, <laughs> it took me a long time to be okay to do them because my mentor, he's done a couple and he's like, I'm not doing anymore. This is really creepy. I'm not doing it. You can do all the pets if you want to. I'm like, okay, well, I'll do anything. I need money right now. So I'm kind of in learning. And so he gave me a few numbers and I called a few people back and I'm like, hello here. They're like, it's Jenna here. I was, uh, given your number and you want a pet done and you know, I'll taxidermy your pet for sure. Like what's the details? So I had this one guy and he's like, well, I have a, my pet here and he's a, a Irish wolfhound and I want to get his bones preserved and I want to get them whitened. And then I want to get his skin tanned and use it for a lining of my jacket. And I was like, Oh, what? Lining of his jacket. Oh no, I heard you. I'm just wondering yeah. why he needs the bones <laughs> preserved for that. I don't understand that part. Okay. Like, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's weird. Like I'm not trying to think, like say the whole pet tax or anything is weird at all. Like I t completely understand it. It's recycling. It yeah. doesn't, it doesn't weird me out yeah. in, it, it doesn't, it doesn't. But anyway, continue. I told him I could do it, but he didn't end up calling back because we, we tend to price those jobs a bit higher because honestly, no one really wants to do them. Like even the tannery is like, oh, the skin is a lot more greasy. We don't want to do it. Like they get creeped out too. They don't want to do it. So they charge more money. So it's a premium, right? Like it's probably three times more than a normal. Ooh. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's definitely pricier. What about animals that don't have fur? Do you get any others? Well, we'll get to birds in a second. What about, like, do you ever do a snake, for example? Like, is there anything that you would do that doesn't have fur? Because that would be difficult to try to make look natural, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. So you say snake and lizards and stuff like that. But so we did this trade show a week ago and we had a uh, tarantula request. How, how would you do that? Um, Don't you just dry it out? Formaldehyde is a good one. Borax is a good one. So... Yeah, basically. But do you still have to skin it? No, you you wouldn't skin it. So you would just basically pin it in place how they want to, like the position that they want. And then borax it. And borax is a saint because, it you know, no bugs like borax. Anything that wants to like mold, anything like that, it won't penetrate that. So borax and formaldehyde, that works. Has anyone approached you to do fish? 
Yeah, so many people. I don't want to do fish. Fish is more like you can save the skin from fish and put it over the form that you get. But it's a lot of airbrushing. I feel like it yeah. always painting ends up eventually looking pretty goofy. Cheesy. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's cheesy. I mean, you have to be a really good airbrusher. And I'm not a super good airbrusher right now. Like, I'm still in the beginning. So Is there ah. a bigger market for fish than there is for animal for males? No, no. I would think fish are very expensive. So I would think that it would be more for mammals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, birds. Okay, you showed me a magnificent turkey downstairs. Oh, yeah, yeah. And how does that work? I'm assuming you're not obviously laying each feather. I mean, the feathers, when you skin a bird, stay on the skin. Yeah, yeah. So what about the tail feathers? How, like, what's the hardest part of doing a, a bird? The hardest part about doing a bird would be just keeping every single feather in place. You can do the whole skin and preserve the skin of a bird and then put it over its form but you have to really monitor every single feather on that bird. If one or two feathers are out of place, the whole thing looks kind of like, oh, there's a spot there that's not right. So you want the whole like feathers to lay naturally and nice. And yeah, you have to really monitor it, right? Because it dries, the feathers change. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How important is it to be a perfectionist in this field? Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, it is a big a big deal because when things start to dry, things start shifting, they move. So when you finish a mount, you literally have to sit there for three days and watch everything dry and shift it around and move and put it back into place. Yeah. What if it yeah. starts to shrink and shrivel up? Do you wet it and pin it and try to keep it in place? Um, while it's drying, you have to move it around and help it move. And yeah, you have to pin everything in place and... What would you advise somebody to look for when choosing a taxidermist? Oh, okay. So this is a good one. There's a lot of companies that get really big and they hire off people to do work for them. And they maybe might not be the best of the best, um, but they're just basically subcontractors. And those are the people you do not want to be doing their work or your work because they don't have a name to uphold. They're just working for someone else under their name. So you would probably want to have someone who is like a small time business owner that really is, you know, caring about their name and what kind of work is coming out. So what would you look for? Would you be looking for, obviously stitching, you said wherever the stitching is, you want to make sure that that's yeah. covered. The hair is not being, you know, wrapped in with the, yeah. the, the thread, I guess. Look at, look at the eyes. The you eyes. have to look at the eyes. Look at the eyes. Look at the nose. Look at the mouth. All the fine details. Look up a picture of a deer. Google a picture. Take a look. And then look at their work. Because that's what we do. That's our reference. We look at pictures off of Google. We... We are hunters ourselves. We've killed these animals. We've looked at them so many times before. That's our real life reference. And that's what we work off of. Is this person that's doing your taxidermy, is this a hunter themselves? Like they know these animals. They know the muscles when they take the skin off. Do they see these muscles? They know what muscles are underneath the skin. They know what the eyes look like. They know what the nose looks like. That's the person you want to do your mount. Is Am I hiring a taxidermist that's a deer hunter to do my sheep who's never killed a sheep before? No, you don't want that. That's a really good point. Yeah, if you hire a sheep hunter taxidermist to do your sheep. Ooh, you're making the pot real (laughs) limited though, right? There can't be that many talented taxidermists who hunt everything. What's your big pet peeve? What's the one thing that you do see on occasion and it just makes your skin crawl? I don't know. I think I'm going to like think about this at 2 a.m. in the morning and be like, oh, I wish I would have said that. <laughs> but uh, I would say, I know we're all critical and like judge each other's work, but it's like the eyes. The like, eyes, Get yeah. the eyes right. It, it is. There's yeah. something, I, I notice that sometimes I'll walk by an animal and there's something vacant. You yeah. can just tell when it's yes, not quite right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's weird because even though a lot of us have seen a lot of deer, even before I'd seen a lot of animals mm-hmm. in the wild, I still could walk by something and feel that it didn't feel quite right. I wonder if there's just this natural instinct in us to know when it doesn't feel right. Yeah. I mean, the eyes, if the eyes are off, you will be able to tell. Best thing to do is take a picture of the mount and step back and take a look at that picture. And if the picture looks off, the picture always 
can pick up on that. So yeah, good point. Yeah. So you don't have to waste any meat then when you're getting something mounted. Like with marlin, mm-hmm. if you want to get a marlin mounted, a lot of the times they can't even eat that fish. So they'll need the fish to be in its full form to make the mount, and then it's a thousand pounds of meat wasted. But it sounds like with mammals, you can take all of the meat out. Yeah. And it doesn't make any difference at all with your mount. No, that's right. Because you're just you're just doing the shoulder mount sometimes when it comes to deer or whatever full life size mounts. You won't really need that because we order we order the form that looks like your kill. And that's another thing with giving us the photos is that we would, you know, if your sheep had a bigger rump, we'll make that a bigger rump. If he had a bigger shoulder, we'll make that a bigger shoulder. So Pre-pictures are always really good to give to the tech service, yeah. That makes sense. What about if you're doing a full body mount then, where does someone make the incision? Like how would I even begin? If I had a beautiful animal and I had space for this, you know, full body, Yeah. Where would, how would I even cut? Or do you just end up pat, doing patchwork on the whole thing? Make all your cuts even. Like if you're going to cut where you shouldn't cut, make sure they're all even. You know how a full mount is going to stand. So cut them up the inside. With bears, I always say cut up the center and then cut wrist to wrist and ankle to ankle. So those are always going to be areas that you can hide. So that's your most best bet is just areas that you can hide. Same with rugs, ankle to ankle, wrist to wrist. Got it. Do you think that taxidermy has contributed to people wanting to target, you know, quote unquote trophies? And obviously I use that term loosely because trophies nowadays, you know, my mom's always like, but he's a trophy hunter. And it's like, yeah, but mom, trophy hunting isn't necessarily what you and the media have made trophy hunting out to be. Do you think that because of taxidermy and because of mounts, people are specifically targeting um, mature, impressive animals? Uh, I don't think because of taxidermy, they're targeting them. No, I think, I mean, that's a really big topic. Jeez, it comes down to the older animal is getting out of the whole breeding cycle and those are the ones that should be maybe killed off so the new breeding stock could come in and breed but I don't know I mean I think so I mean it's it's questionable I love these interviews with with people who are new to their profession because if you look if you weren't talented I wouldn't be sitting here with Thank you. you. And yeah. I know that you've got a really, really healthy, brilliant career ahead of you. Thank you. And I'm April. super excited for people listening yeah. to this in 20 years because they're going to be yeah. like, remember when she was new? Yeah. Talk to me about your long-term plan because I suspect you're not going anywhere. Do you have a website up right now? Yes, I have a website. It's uh, com. How can people really see the close-up detail of your work though? Is this on your website? Yes, my website and my Instagram too. So fish hunt cook Jenna Lee Mew. Uh, J-E-N-N-A-L-E-E-M-U. And yeah. And I will link you up. Yes. Um, another quick question for you. What do I do if I'm in New Zealand and I get this unbelievable animal and I want you to do the work? How do I get it to you? Okay, so... Or, or even if you're in Idaho. Say you're in Idaho. Yeah. And, and we want it to go to you here in Canada. Yeah. So you will have to message me and we'll connect with a broker, which I have uh, connections to. But what you'll have to do is get it tanned and you'll have to send the antlers and the tanned cape to me. Uh, Contact me first and we'll get the broker ready and he'll get it to me. All I'm hearing in my head right now is like dollars. It must be expensive. It's not too expensive, no. From America to hire a broker, have it sent to you. I mean, what's shipping cost on something like that big elk downstairs? Oh Oh God. Uh, Well, it's not too big. I mean, maybe about uh, 50 to $80. What? It yeah. said those big antlers? Yes. Yeah. So when they're shipping it though, I'm assuming because it hasn't obviously been mounted yet, the antlers aren't in place. Can they take the antlers off and stack them? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's how they do it? Yeah. But then for you to ship it back, wouldn't it cost an absolute fortune together in one piece? Uh, it might cost a little bit, but it's, you know, I mean, like it's going to be snail mail <laughs> to get to you. As slow as possible. Yeah. So probably I would say like 150 to $300. You could do courier, you could do air, but yeah, it would be about 300 bucks to get to you. Is there something, is there an animal that's too big that we that maybe you can't Life ship. size is a little eh, but yeah. What about embargoes or any sort of um, issue with getting certain animals through the border? 
Oh, you would again need a broker to okay, do that. So he, yeah. could, he handles all of that stuff. Yeah. yeah, the broker would. So in all of this and this new venture for you, what has been the coolest thing about taxidermy so oh. far? Okay, so the coolest thing by far has been getting to get up close with all these animals and seeing their battle scars. Oh, right. Oh my God, they're so, these animals are so magnificent. Seeing an elk come in and these are all trophy elk and seeing like the bases of them, like they're huge. But anyways, so getting back to the battle scar. So I did a bunch of these polar bears and they had scars all over their face from fighting. Like it was so cool. Like how often do you get to see a polar bear up close? Who's bringing in polar bears? Uh, it was a whole China import thing. <laughs> but it, was, it was like legal. Yeah. Yeah. It's all legal. Yeah. And what were Absolutely. The, what I will were, not work on an animal that's not legal. So you ask for papers and stuff to be oh, able to Oh, 100%. Yeah. So tell me about these scars because it's so cool. Every one of those scars has a story. Yes. So, and, and a lot of the time you can't really see until you're really intimate with that animal. Yeah. So you get deer that come in and they've got, they've actually got antlers that are still stuck into their face, broken off. And the antler's still there and you can see the infection. There's been black bears that have come in and I, I skinned out a Boone and Crockett, actually a huge black bear. And there was 22 bullets still in the hide. Pardon yeah, me? 22 bullets. Like who was it that shot this bear with a 22 that thought they could maybe get a lucky shot? And it was in the vital area. Yeah. That is unbelievable. Yeah. What else have you seen? Okay, so and, and do you leave the stuff in or do you start prying stuff out? No, you have well, you have to pry it out, right? You can't give it to the yeah, yeah. Wire stuck in it, like random pieces of wire, like you don't know where it's from. It could be a fence, piece of a fence. It's crazy. Yeah. Infections, infections that you don't know where it came from, what happened. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff like that that happens too. So I have a friend who um, and I don't want this to be offensive to you in no. any way, shape or form. I have a friend in Australia. I hope she's not listening right now, but she always <laughs> smells. I hope to God she's not listening. <laughs> I know. She always smells like wild boar Yeah, because she eats so much wild boar and she's constantly cooking this meat and because she's surrounded. I mean, even when I was tanning hides all winter long, I smelt like, like skin and I smelt like flesh and yeah. I smell like egg yeah. and hopefully not brain, but I reeked. Oh, yeah. What about you? Okay. So there was this time we were going on a vacation and I had to drop my dogs off at this kennel. So I had to do, I'd never been to this kennel before. So I did like a pre um, like visit or whatever. So I came in and the dogs were like deer in headlights. They saw me and they freaked. And the lady that was showing me around was like, oh, I don't know why they're getting so <laughs> freaked out. And I'm like, oh, oh, really? And they, they just kept on getting more freaked out and more freaked out. And they were running and crashing into all the fences and stuff. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I got to be honest with you. I uh, I skin bears for a living. <laughs> it's bear season right now, taxidermy, and and she's like, oh, maybe that's why they're so upset. Oh, not maybe and for sure. Yeah, and I'm like, sometimes either dogs think I'm a walking treat and they love me, or or they are just absolutely terrified of me. And definitely that time they were terrified. Of totally, me. because it's so unnatural yeah, for a human to yeah. be absolutely reeking of bear. I know. I never like, even thought about that. Yeah, Euro mounts. What is a Euro mount exactly? That's just the skull uh, and the antlers? Oh, this is a good one, actually. This is one of the dirty parts of the jobs, definitely. Um, what is a Euro mount? <sighs> and and, and how, why do they get the name or the credit for this particular mount? Do you know? I'm not sure about the whole naming thing, but I do know that skull cleaning and whitening and all that stuff is like oh, it yeah, turns out whitening. really nice yeah turns out really really nice it's a great thing to have on your wall you can have the option to put it on a plaque it looks great but the whole cleaning process is very very dirty and it is definitely worth the money that we charge because there is something about cleaning brains that is very very weird to me and I think it would be weird to anybody um the smell of brains, because obviously you have to boil the skulls. You have to boil them. That's part of the whole process. That's how you guys do it? it? You yeah. Boil we, them? we boil them, then we pressure wash them, yes. and then we whiten them. But uh, you have to get the brains out. So pressure washing is part of the um, getting the brains out. Uh, you have to kind of spray them out, uh, suck them out. 
But uh, that's got to be the worst part is, yeah, that exactly. smell. I remember when I, there was an elk that was hit across the river from me mm-hmm. um, by a train and it had made it and died in my backyard. And so I did everything. I tried boiling, but its head was too big <clears> for, you know, the pot I had over the fire. Then I tried wrapping it in towels full of bleach and then putting it, <laughs> you're looking at me like, what? <laughs> um, in garbage bags. And anyway, that didn't work. So I put it in the mound, uh, you know, in the ant's nest. Ants, yeah. Yeah, didn't work. I uh, left it out for the mice, didn't work, left it out in the sun. Anyway, the only thing that ended up working was the pressure washer. Yeah. And it was so, I was so nervous because I didn't want to knock its teeth out with the pressure washer. Yeah. And it really did make an, an astound. I mean, it made such a difference. Yeah. I don't think I could have done it without it. Yeah. Um, just a note for people listening, don't take it to the car wash pressure washer oh my God. because I did that and they <laughs> don't like it. <laughs> so find no. a day. They were not impressed with me at no. all. Um, find a neighbor who has a pressure washer and then get right on in there. Is there a way to do it without knocking out any of, you know, teeth that are loose or? Nope. If your teeth get knocked out, just super glue them in. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. What about bleaching? I was really nervous about mm. weakening it. Same with leaving it in the sun for too long. I didn't yeah. want it to start to become too brittle. Yeah. Don't use bleach. That's all I got to say. How do you whiten it? Um, okay. So bleach eats away at the bone, but we use peroxide. Oh, okay. Yeah. We have peroxide mixes that we use and it whitens it up pretty good. And there's a few steps that you have to do, but peroxide usually does a job. For how long? Ooh, depends what volume you use and what you have access to. We use a very high grade industrial peroxide. It usually takes a couple days. Do you have something that you would suggest I use for my mount for my antlers specifically, so that they don't start to fade out in the sun? Can I dip um, them in something or, or put a varnish on? Or we have certain paints that we order from our taxidermy companies that you can paint your antlers. And then we seal them up with a certain special ingredient. Okay. I can't tell you. What if I were to send you a Euro mount that was already cleaned and had all the brains out? What would you guys charge just to go ahead and, oh. and preserve it for me? So if, if it was already cleaned and all that and there was no like a rigmarole to do, oh man, for you? No. <laughs> for, for somebody. <laughs> Well, hundred bucks. Okay, so yeah, it's not going to cost a fortune yeah. because your remotes are really expensive. Because yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it look good for you. Okay. Yeah. Call Jenna. Um. Well, Jenna, I'm really excited to watch your future, and um, I'm really excited to bring you some mounts, and I'm awesome. really excited for other people to bring you some mounts. Great. Thank you so much. You bet. Is there anything that you would like to add or to ask me? Oh, I just want to know how you do so much traveling with Adelaide and manage her because <laughs> I could not do that with Wyatt. Absolutely not. It just started really early. Really? I think because you have a girl and I have a boy and boys are crazy and so girls true. are crazy. It's so true, honestly. <laughs> Thank I you I for agreeing. <laughs> I didn't believe it until I started seeing all my friends with their little yes. boys and they're just on. They're nuts. They are insane. They're like yes. jumping off couches and I stuff. Know. No, Adelaide I... just wants to play with the beads on your necklace and have a, talk to you about her day. Oh my gosh, jealous. Uh, yeah, you won't be when she's 13. <laughs> yeah, I that's absolutely right. You. That's why I was so excited when the lady was like, you're having a boy. I was like, yes. <laughs> until, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're always easier. Girls are easier until, well, think about the hell we put our parents through. Oh my gosh. I was good and I put my parents through crap. <laughs> I was not good. You weren't? No. No, I'm sure you were good. I was good. I didn't do like You look like drugs a good little girl. <laughs> I was an adventure junkie. Really? Oh, yeah. No. I wasn't promiscuous. I didn't do drugs or, or any of that stuff. But I you was, were a good girl. Yeah, but I was always like getting myself in trouble or dangerous situations. Good. I thrived off the adventure. So. Oh, April. So nice to catch up with you. I missed you so much. It was so good to see yes. you. Let's do this again in Absolutely. future. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. And that concludes this episode of Anchored. Thank you for listening. 